HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Sombra, an award-winning artisanal mezcal handcrafted in Santiago, Matatlan, Oaxaca, Mexico. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 150 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. Podcasting is such amazing technology. It brings us closer. You listen right in your earbuds. It's having a conversation, which is something that we don't get to do very often anymore these days. We're very much text, Instagram, email. It's nice to have a conversation and hear someone's voice. And today we will be talking with Devin Schumacher, who is founder and managing partner of something called Rooftop Reds. If I asked you where the world's first commercially viable urban rooftop vineyard was, would you say Brooklyn? Probably not. It's a, it's a fascinating and interesting project for urban, uh, urban winery, urban gardening. Um, there's also some solar paneling happening and um, outdoor movie nights. So there's a lot happening in Brooklyn, a lot growing in Brooklyn. Devin, thank you for joining us this morning. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So we are, we have a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff to get through in the 45 minutes that we're going to talk with Devin. And the first thing that I think is an obvious question, um, he has 42 planters that he custom designed on a 14, almost 15,000 square foot rooftop space in the Brooklyn Navy Yards, and he's growing grapes. And when they harvest the grapes, they take them up to the Finger Lakes and they make wine. And then you can come to the Rooftop Reds Garden uh, and try them and drink and have snacks and look at the look at the planters. It's a very interesting idea. And I, I think the, the easy first question is, why do you want to make wine on a rooftop? Yeah, it's... Uh... It's the obvious question, right? Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many opportunities to make wine and inclusive of right. the Finger Lakes where you went to learn how to make wine and, and where your um, you know, collaborative partner uh, vineyard wineries are. Um, there's lots of great places. I mean, even looking sort of in a broader scope, a lot of people go to Europe, they go to France, they go to one of the like, quote, older world wine regions and mm-hmm. you stayed local and went to upstate New York. But but what was what made you want to do it on a rooftop, which seems challenging and difficult and 
not so obvious. Agriculture is always challenging and difficult. So, you know, we're going to cross that barrier no matter if we're in the Finger Lakes or in Bordeaux or in Brooklyn. Uh, but really, it's about accessibility. Uh, you know, we're, we're smack dab in the middle of Brooklyn, right next to Dumbo, right next to the Brooklyn Bridge and Manhattan Bridge. You know, just a quick hop and a jump to Manhattan. We're surrounded by nine plus million people in the 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 largest mega city in the United States. Uh, it's also the largest wine market, you know, arguably in the world. Uh, so accessibility, you know, giving people a destination within the city that they can take the MTA to and and get their vineyard fix or be in the vineyard for the first time ever. Um, because traditionally these are in destinations that are hard to get to and aren't accessible and you need paid time off and you need you know, vacation days and expendable income to uh, experience what we provide right in people's backyards here in Brooklyn. So why is it important, do you think, for the general public or the urban dwelling public um, to have access to a vineyard and the winemaking process? Yeah, I I mean, I think having access to urban agriculture uh, teaches about food security, teaches about you know, uh, cleaning our environment, uh, teaches about, you know, air quality, uh, what we can actually do in urban zones. Uh, you know, a lot of people would say, no, you can't grow, uh, grapes or food or have a harvest, uh, in, in, in a mega city, in an urban environment like Brooklyn. Uh, but you can, and, uh, that, that is one thing that we are proving out. It's an interesting idea to bring agriculture to urbanites because theoretically people are either from New York and there are some true born and bred New Yorkers, but people mostly come from other places to New York to be a part of, I think, that mega city that you described earlier. Right. And many are possibly coming from um, places that are more rural and agricultural. So it's an interesting idea to bring something that's intrinsically not urban to urbanites in a sense that, I mean, I think people come to New York for the energy and the opportunity and business and people and things like that, but they're not here for agriculture. So it maybe gives people a window into, you know, definitely gives people a window into something that we typically don't have access to in the city. Um, I wonder if people who are coming from more rural and agricultural places who were perhaps disinterested in it when it was their locale are now more interested in it because of the juxtaposition of it being in Brooklyn. Right. Well, I think we blend, you know, the best of rural and urban. I mean, most articles that, uh, you know, uh, write pieces about rooftop reds always touch upon, you know, the city views um, that that we have expansive views of downtown Brooklyn skyline and midtown Manhattan skyline. And, you know, uh, it, it's infusing, you know, this, this really, really beautiful row structure of vineyards that is just so appealing and visually stunning. Um, and then the backdrop of having these world-class, you know, skyscrapers and skylines, uh, and that vista is, is really, really unique. Um, generally, during my tours and tastings, I often talk about, you know, one aspect that's so unique about Rooftop Reds is that we actually immerse people into the vineyard. Uh, so you're literally sitting a foot away from 
the Cabernet Sauvignon or the Malbec or the Merlot vines that are growing right next to your table, uh, which is also really unique. Uh, generally, when you go to a tasting room, you're looking at the vista of grapevines and hills covered in, in uh, you know, the vineyards, uh, but you're not immersed in the vineyard. Here, you're immersed in the vineyard and your vista is the urban environment that surrounds us. It's such a um, incongruous idea from from one point of view. And if folks listening uh, want to take a look at what Devin is describing, um, now's a good time maybe to check out rooftopreds.com or take a look at their social media, which is at Rooftop Reds. And you, they have um, some really nice photography on both their social media and their website that'll give you an idea of what he's talking about in terms of being in the vineyard and taking a look at these vistas. But let's talk a little bit about the vineyard aspect itself. I mean, as we all know, wine, anything that grows um, in soil, we talk about the terroir and we talk about the characteristics of the soil itself and the dirt and what that imparts to the fruit or vegetables that it's growing. We talk about, you know, the climate and how, you know, microclimates and how all of that impacts, you know, the flavors and the characters of wines. So you have um, these custom-designed planters that you made, and you fill the planters with soil, mm -hmm. with your terroir, as it were. Where does your dirt come from? How did you? Because you actually created your own terroir in some sense, yes. right? Uh, so we worked with a, a company called Skyland USA, and they're a green roof soil medium provider. Uh, they're based out of Philly, but they have location soil mixing locations all throughout the United States. Um, and so I worked with their soil science PhDs at the same time uh, that I was developing the soil with them. I was in wine school. I was working with academia uh, at Cornell University. I was working with industry leaders uh, in the Finger Lakes wine region, just, you know, farmers, people that, uh, you know, live and breathe uh, uh, viticulture. Um, and so I had an amazing amount of knowledge, uh, support, uh, and, and then uh, commercial professionals uh, to help me design uh, the soil that, that uh, our grapevines have been living in for the past eight years. Um, so it's really interesting. Wherever we can uh, infuse recycling, you know, reuse, repurpose practices, uh, we have, and, and our soil is no different. Uh, so 45% of our soil is crushed recycled glass that acts as our sand element. Um, and because, you know, we manufactured this soil, literally, um, it, 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 it's, it's a 100% a, a proprietary blend, but we were able to set our macro and micronutrients specifically to the varietals uh, and, and best practices uh, that we could infuse into this very untraditional vineyard. That's just, I mean, it's its a fascinating idea um, to really completely control the the soil and the terroir, if you will. Um, obviously, as you mentioned up front, farming is something that is, so much of it is not under your control, including, you know, the ground and the weather and the sun and, you know, all those types of things. So you engineered the soil to match the types of grapes that you're growing. Yep. And then I assume to match the climate of the rooftop in Brooklyn. Yeah, absolutely. So my my senior thesis was a climatic uh, 
analysis uh, of building this rooftop vineyard at building 275 uh, in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So, you know, a very specific site. I had already targeted this rooftop. I didn't have a lease on it yet, but my whole project <laughs> was built upon, uh, uh, you know, the propagation of these grapevines at this location. And the recycled glass is such an interesting piece. And you said that that is the sand component yep. in your terroir. Is that is sand typically an element that is found in vineyard soil and uh, vineyard terroirs? That yeah. I mean, I know I, we've heard like granite and minerals and right. you know stone and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I sand sounds like a new ingredient to me. Or one that I've not, or one that I'm not familiar with. No, no, no. It's totally fine. Yeah, sand, sand silt, uh, uh, clay are the the three pillars of uh, any soil type. It just depends on your uh, your ratio of sand, silt to clay, and what that's going to provide for your grapevines. Uh, so grapevines uh, don't like wet feet, so they don't like to be in soggy soil or clay laden soil, and that's why we have a very high percentage of sand in our soil um, just to make sure that when we do get these heavy soaking rains, you know, we, we receive, you know, about 48 inches of rain annually uh, in New York city. And a lot of data is showing that that, you know, water trend is, is uh, shooting upwards as, as now we're, you know, technically a subtropical zone. Uh, um, and so really sand's very important. You know, we want this water to, you know, be accessible to our vines, but we don't want it to stay around in our soil and and create a uh, an oxygen, you know, a, a non-rich oxygen zone for our vines to to really, you know, move the nutrients and and um, you know, but also dry out as soon as possible. It's such a fascinating um, idea to think about these planters on you know, the roof in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Mm -hmm. Just a question out of curiosity, where does the recycled glass come from? Is that, is, is utilizing recycled elements part of the Skyland um, options? Is that something that you um, came to on your own? Where does it come from? Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's actually how they develop their, their soil. I think that's part of their sustainability package that, um, you know, the, the commercial soils that they blend and create for their clients like rooftop reds, um, the, the sand element is always crushed recycled glass or, or for most of their soil mixtures, always crushed recycled glass. So I can't, I can't really talk about, you know, what, where that glass is coming from, how they source it, how, how they uh, pulverize it. Um, but, but that is definitely something that they promote as, uh, you know, keeping uh, uh, sustainably uh, uh, sustainable practices infused into their commercial products. That's not something that we hear about a lot in the general media. We hear about newspapers getting recycled into, you know, toilet paper, and we right. hear about, you know, aluminum cans getting recycled into more aluminum cans. Right. Uh, but we don't hear about, you know, very often something like glass into vineyard terroir, yeah. which is just really great. So it's, I mean, it really sounds like you, um, 
I mean, if this was your thesis project while you were in finishing school in the Finger Lakes, mm-hmm. learning about winemaking, um, sort of going out very uh, intentionally with the different partners that you work with. Mm-hmm. And most recently, you have joined forces with another Brooklyn tech company for your solar panels, yeah, which you recently installed. Yeah, so uh, and this this is also fascinating as well. I mean, this is not your um, this is not your grandfather's solar panels, where it's like the right. big, yeah, the big giant, you know, black uh, black panels that you would see, you know, on a house rooftop or something. It's a little bit of a of a new technology. Yeah, it, it's a it's a very cool company. Uh, the The name of the solar company that we're working with is Pavilion, uh, and they're they actually started in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. They started at uh, uh, New Lab, which is a co working tech space um, that that was founded here in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, I believe, in 2014. Um, right about when Rooftop Reds was coming into the yard and setting up our our nursery vineyard system. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's great to be working with people that, you know, are excited about, about the Navy yard and, and what we're doing specifically. Um, and pavilion kind of their niche is they do solar fabric. Uh, so we have a pergola system that, that I designed on the, on the rooftop. Uh, so when I, when I contacted them, uh, I really wanted them to use our infrastructure um, and just have this solar upgrade. Um, and the main purpose behind infusing solar into our business model up here is, A, to live our sustainable mission. Uh, but then, B, we can use uh, the solar power, harness it in, in battery mobile form, and then use it for our programming such as uh, making our movie nights a hundred percent solar driven. Um, so we, we get to relook at everything that we do operationally and say, now how much can we infuse solar into that programming, into the operations, you know, every night that we're not using it for a movie night, all of our string lighting, all of our outdoor lighting will be solar based now. Um, so it's just a step towards carbon neutrality and it's something that, you know, we feel great about and we will be talking to our guests about and, and hopefully it's just, it's just living the mission and, and keeping integrity, uh, you know, intertwined with our, with our, uh, business model. You have a lot of different things happening in your rooftop vineyard, uh, between the actual rooftop vineyard production itself and the solar panels. How, how has it been opening the business and progressing through these different stages? Is it easy to have solar-powered battery movie night and integrate your uh, electrical needs into a solar panel program because you are starting it this way from the ground up versus switching from you know, a traditional energy source to a solar powered source? Is it just challenging anyway, because it's building something and perhaps the technology is new? Um, do, you, do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I I don't think it's, you know, th- these things are challenging for sure. And there's a learning process, but this is, 
you know, there's always training at, at businesses. There's always upgrades to uh, the model. There's always a new approach to, to make us more marketable and, and visible and identifiable and trusted by our clientele. Um, so I think that's, you know, for, for any business, there's always, you know, those challenges. But I think infusing uh, solar into our business model and, and ha- how we just run our operations is, is really exciting. And I think, I think everybody's really eager to, to step up to that challenge because they know how important it is. Um, so I think it also helps me as the managing partner to be a leader for, for the Rooftop Reds team and say, this is our next step. And, you know, everybody needs to learn this next step. Uh, Pavilion Solar will be doing training on how to use the solar for my entire staff. Uh, so there's already two training sessions for my entire staff on, on what this new system is, how we can use it, how we can best use it. And I think that's incredibly powerful uh, for everyone on this team, as well as our guests, as well as for the business in general. Because the more people who have information and use it and use ne- new technologies, then that's sort of how it, yeah, how, I mean, how change spreads through business and, and, and communities and populations. Sure. Are you anticipating having, um, educational uh, things like this about, you know, the solar panel piece or the, you know, the rooftop viniculture, um, things for the public. I mean, you do have a a nice roster of summer events coming up from movies to yoga to um, chef and food pop-ups. Do you have an educational component on on your roadmap that's coming? (laughs) It's every Wednesday night. Uh, It's our torrent tasting. It starts at 7 p.m., uh, we go through everything that we do on this rooftop, as well as a four wine and cheese uh, uh, tasting, uh, guided tasting by either myself or uh, our tasting room manager, Irina, or uh, my operational partner, uh, Clara Khan. Uh, so, yeah, every every week uh, we go through, you know, why why we grow grapes on this rooftop in Brooklyn and how, you know, we are trying to make an environmental impact uh, uh, and, and, and lead sustainability for, for small businesses here uh, in New York City. Do you do the science part before you get to the wine part? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I try to keep do, it do the, do the complicated solar piece before you get to tastings. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to give <laughs> training on, on the solar panels like pavilion will to my staff, but I'll, I'll explain, you know, how, why, why we are doing this, why we're moving forward with, uh, 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 you know, trying to approach aggressively approach carbon neutrality for the business. Um, why this investment is important and, uh, it absolutely will be part of our, uh, um, you know, conversation that we have, um, because it's, it's now going to be part of our identity. Well, and having conversations is so important and conversations like this one, I think let people uh, learn something a little bit new. Maybe other business owners have ideas 
Um, maybe other startup companies have ideas about how they can translate what they do directly into their communities. Um, we at Heritage Radio Network are a big community of about 35 live shows a week. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, and we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us and find out who is making this conversation possible today. This episode is brought to you by Sombra, an award-winning artisanal mezcal handcrafted in Santiago, Matatlan, Oaxaca, Mexico. Sombra owns and operates their own distillery, which ensures consistent quality, supply, and environmentally friendly production methods. Sombra is committed to sustainability, recycling distillation waste into adobe bricks to build homes for those in need. Learn more at sombramezcal.com. That's S-O-M-B-R-A mezcal. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is on a rooftop in the Brooklyn Navy Yards. We are talking with Devin Schumacher, who is founder and managing partner of Rooftop Reds, which is the world's first commercially viable urban rooftop vineyard. He custom-designed 42 planters where he has the vines growing. Um, it's about a 1,500-square-foot rooftop space, and they recently installed pergolas with made with solar panel fabrics. So now they can charge batteries and light the summer nights and run their summer movie night program all on solar power. Mm-hmm. They even have recycled glass in their soil terroir as the sand component. So many interesting things happening here um, on a tech and innovation level, on a sustainability level, uh, on a, you know, making wine in a different way, you know, innovations in viniculture level. And while it's fascinating and it's great to support something like that, and it's really important to know where your food comes from, Let's really just talk about the wine. I mean, because when you're going to go out to a wine spot, you just want to know that you're going to have good wine. (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) Which sort of fundamentally is the point of the exercise. So, Devin, you learned to make wine in the Finger Lakes, and you have a collaborative uh, partner um, at Point of the Bluff Vineyards. That's correct. um, Up in the Finger Lakes. So tell us about, I mean, you know, Brooklyn is a terroir for making wine. Tell us about, you know, the wines that you're making, where you are in your production. Uh, Rooftop Reds opened to the public in 2016, but you actually started planting and working much sooner than that. Yeah. um, I graduated from wine school in 2014 and and immediately planted the nursery vineyard here on rooftops in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Um, But I also started my first production in 2014. Uh, so I came out with three wines uh, in 2014, uh, just a white blend, uh, uh, a kind of robust uh, skin contact rosé and uh, steel fermented Chardonnay were my first three wines uh, that represented the Rooftop Reds portfolio uh, in 2014. Um, but now we've really expanded our wine uh, production and capacity and the amount of varietals that we 
uh, represent uh, here through the wine bar and in in wholesale you know endeavors throughout the city. Um, so right now, I believe we have 13 different styled wines um, in our portfolio that we serve on the rooftop, you know, five days a week uh, during during the growing season. Um, and we also uh, produce a vintage every year specifically from the rooftop. I think that's always important. A lot of people think uh, that this rooftop and uh, this micro vineyard uh, is is more for show and education, uh, and that is absolutely not the case. Uh, I grow all five traditional Bordeaux red varietals on the rooftop, uh, and those varietals are Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Petit Verdot, and Malbec. Um, it is a field blend, so we harvest all these five different Bordeaux varietals at the same time, at the same moment. Um, so when I say it's a field blend, we co-inoculate and uh, co-ferment and uh, then uh, uh, press off the juice after the primary fermentation and and barrel age all together. Uh, so very, very uh, uh, tiny production. Uh, you know, we call ourselves the world's first commercially viable rooftop vineyard system because we are. Uh, but this also might be the world's smallest uh, production. Uh, I, I, I don't know uh, of any other production that that every year uh, tries to go after a one barrel production. And that's what we do on the rooftop. So it's a 55 gallon barrel uh, in French oak. And uh, we age from anywhere from 18 to 24 months per vintage. Um, but yeah, uh, generally about 250 bottles of wine come out of each year's vintage. That's amazing. 250 bottles of wine. Yep. I'm surprised you have things um, from prior years. Do you uh, traditionally in vineyards and especially in Europe where they're very old, very, right. very old, you know, hundreds of years in some instances, there's always a part of the cave that they call the library where they keep they try and keep some of each vintage so that they can have a library of everything that they've produced over time. Sure. Do you have a, a library somewhere for rooftop reds? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we keep our library up at, at, at the winery on, on Cuca Lake at Point of the Bluff uh, Vineyards uh, facility. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not a rapid seller because it is uh, very expensive. Um, because it does represent something incredibly new and untraditional, but is also very exclusive uh, in nature. Um, so we're not we're not banking on on selling this out every year and that being the economic driver behind rooftop reds. This is this is a collector's item. Uh, this is something that the majority of this vintage will be aged. Uh, uh, for, for 15, 20 years. Um, so that us, us running out every year, no, we are, we are stockpiling and, and, <laughs> uh, saving this wine for when it truly will shine, uh, which is, uh, at, at least a decade down the road. How did you decide what you wanted to plant and what you wanted to 
produce in terms of wines? Um, well, the maritime climate here here in Brooklyn, you know, being right next to the, the East River, the harbor, and the eastern seaboard, uh, that is very climatically similar to Bordeaux. Uh, and then our heat accumulation throughout the growing season is also very paralleled uh, to Bordeaux growing conditions. Um, so both of those factors, geography plus climate, um, what, were the two main reasons that I wanted to do a, a Bordeaux red, uh, red production uh, from the rooftop. Um, you know, also we, in New York city, traditionally, historically, we've, we've always looked across the pond, uh, for, for wine productions. Traditionally, our consumption pattern has been much more European influenced than it has been domestically influenced. So there is also that, you know, historical consumption behavior, uh, that, that I took in, uh, uh, to consideration when when uh, uh, deciding what to plant here on the rooftop. Sometimes it's almost faster to get to Paris than it is to get to LA, yeah. coming from the East Coast. Of course. It, it's interesting to think about things just in terms of, um, you know, weather elements and temperature. I, I don't think if you did a survey of people on the street and if you asked them what Brooklyn's you know, microclimate would be closest to in terms of wine production that people would say Bordeaux. I also don't think that people conceptually think of Bordeaux as being on the water, um, which it is. Oh, for um, sure. Right up, right close to the Atlantic and famously um, beaches and oysters and, and things yeah. like that. So, uh, so many just like interesting little details that I think are, come to life um, through telling the story of rooftop reds. But and and another piece that I do want to touch on um, when you talked about you know kind of uh, the the progress and and selling your you know wines and you know going from the challenges of of having this type of business you know here we are in um, June of 2021 and your business opened in 2016 and I think it's worth noting that you have come through the pandemic come through 2020 and reopened in 2021 um, virtually intact. Mm -hmm. And what, what has that challenge been like? On the one hand, you're an outdoor space. So your space is almost um, ready-made for outdoor social distancing um, sort of pandemic regulations. Right. Um, but nonetheless, a, a challenging, challenging time um, for people in New York and you know, businesses, especially, especially in the hospitality space. Yeah. What was, what, what, what was the trajectory of, of your business over the past, you know, 15 months? Yeah. Um, well, I, it, it, we could, we could go in a lot of directions, of course. Uh, there was, <laughs> there was a lot of work to, to be done to, uh, you know, stabilize the business when the pandemic hit. Um, so generally we open up uh, the rooftop about mid March. Um, and we are open. It is a seasonal business, but we are open all the way till at least November 1st. If we can squeeze out a few weekends in November, uh, we try to do that as well. Um, so we had just opened the rooftop. Um, and then of course that all came 
crashing down March 15th. Um, and from March 15th uh, to July 4th, uh, we were not open. Uh, the rooftop was not open. Uh, we were able to reopen in phase two, which I believe, if my memory is correct, um, was June 22nd. But then we really needed to retool, get our staff ready, you know, uh, do all the uh, health and safety pr procedures, submit our CDC uh, health report uh, to the city of New York. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of anxiety around reopening um, but I think the most important thing that we did, uh, when the pandemic hit is, uh, on March 18th, we launched a home wine delivery service, uh, where we were personally, uh, 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 doing, uh, next day deliveries, uh, to all of Manhattan, all of Brooklyn and all of Long Island city, uh, with, with three cars, three drivers. It was, it was just, uh, the, the remaining, uh, uh, salaried employees that we were able to keep on staff. Uh, other members of our team were let go during this time period, uh, just just uh, to temporarily, uh, um, you know, uh, figure out how we were going to assess the situation moving forward. But that was critical because our wholesale restaurants and uh, uh, other, other businesses that had previously purchased our, our, our wines to represent on their lists, they were out of commission too. So we really needed to fill this gap, uh, home wine delivery, uh, uh, service that we started up was six days a week and really filled that gap and, and it made it so much easier to see the light at the end of the tunnel to reopen July 4th, the rooftop, uh, you know, in a safe, socially distanced and in very pragmatic way, um, and and honestly, make twenty twenty not not this depression, but uh, a success story. Having a product that you sell like wine that certainly was in demand, um, and the idea to do your own delivery um, was a great idea. You know, combination of what was sitting, you know, in your storage space at your restaurant and then something that people needed. Just out of curiosity, we are, you know, always interested in talking about delivery and the industry and and um, different components like that. You decided to do all of your delivery on your own. Right. Is there a reason why you decided to do it on your own? Um, did you build the, I know now, now you do shipping. Right. There's no more hand delivery with you and your car. Right. <laughs> now you do shipping to eight states and there's a very nice page um, for shopping on your website. And so you, you do all that. Did you have the ordering platform on your website as well? Did you build that yourself? Yes. Yeah. So we, you know, it was cradle to grave. Um, everything that, you know, was, was established for home wine delivery, uh, uh, through rooftop reds website was, was, uh, carried out by me and my staff. Um, so yeah, we, we, we didn't feel that it was, it, it was the appropriate time to, to bring in third parties to do the, the deliveries on our behalf. Um, a, the rooftop was closed, uh, B we we wanted to to ensure that these deliveries were going to the right place we wanted to ensure that 
people had a personal touch, not only ourselves delivering it to them and and keeping, you know, loyal relationships strong behind uh, our brand and our business, um, but also just just be out there and, and try to uplift people's spirits. Uh, we did personal notes on the bag. I did uh, uh, a little cartoon that I slipped into each bag called Quarantine Cat. Uh, and you know, just, just tried to generally, um, bring a little life and, and, and a welcoming touch to, to every delivery. If it was somebody's birthday, if somebody was gifting something, we had a, uh, you know, some party poppers that we threw in people's bags. We did a, a weekly deal every Wednesday called it wine Wednesday. Um, you know, if you spent a certain amount of money we were throwing in extra bottles or uh you know extra goodies tasting room glasses you know um so so we we tried to keep it fresh we tried to have something uh that people looked forward to every week or 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 honestly for their weekend to stock up we didn't you know a lot of mother's day packages and and father's day packages and you know, uh, we tried to throw everything in the kitchen sink uh, at making this a great experience for everyone. You know, the personal contact with your customers and actually having that information is something that businesses lose when they use a, a third party mm-hmm. um, ordering platform or delivery platform. Um, right. You really just get like the pick and pack and delivery list, and then that's it. Right. Um, and so that also is you know, part and parcel of sort of taking your delivery side into your own website and into your own business and really controlling it from A to Z. The quarantine cat cartoons sound fascinating. Did you save them or keep them? Do you have them somewhere? Oh, I know yeah, that yeah. I, I, I read recently that the Smithsonian is is collecting things from pandemic and I believe some things food focused as well. You know, it, the, the, the pandemic... I mean, we're still in it. It's not over. It's evolved. Um, we're in a different stage of it. So I, right. I don't want to say, I, I don't want to use past tense right. in talking about it because we're still very much in it. Um, and the the cost of, you know, loss of, of life and business and so many things is really um, significant and, and devastating and, and heartbreaking in so many ways. But I do think that there is a flip side to that. And that is the um, innovation and creativity and work and outreach um, that different people did, you know, in everyday life and and with their businesses. Right. Um, that I do think there's a, a piece of this time which will be one of, uh, you know, just great creativity, great creativity, great um, connection in many ways with people. I mean, to hear that you were doing that with wine delivery. Um, right. is really amazing and, and something that I think is special and probably why um, people continue to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, loyal customers because you had a relationship with them much more than like I'm dropping, you know, some liquor off on your doorstep. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it, it was a factor. Um, you know, I, I've, I've always said, you know, wine is uh, recession proof. Uh, that's, that was kind of my philosophy going back to wine school after, you know, being through, you know, the crash in 2008 and 
the fallout from that in 2009 and 2010. Um, and, and just thinking that this was a great trade to, to learn and, uh, get my hands around. Um, but, uh, you know, I think all those factors came into play last year and, uh, we, we were able to, you know, um, represent ourselves well, uh, even, even in, in some chaos. Uh, so, you know, and that's, that's kind of the, the friendly natured approach that, that we love to provide to our customers while they're on the rooftop. So it was just, well, we can't have anybody up on the rooftop right now. How are we going to manifest, you know, our identity, our personality, what people love about, you know, rooftop breads, hospitality and service um, via home wine delivery. It's such a great idea um, that you came up with. And it's certainly, you know, the question that you just articulated is one that so many businesses, um, not just businesses that provide product and service to people, but even businesses where they have people, you know, collaborating and working together. You know, I think the question for this time is how do we translate you know, that, that undescribable but visceral alchemy that happens when you do things in real life with people? How can we translate that emotion or that feeling and that something into something you can deliver to a person's house in a shopping bag or something that you right. can maybe get to on a, you know, interactive video call of some sort or something audible or a podcast conversation? Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's hard to put your finger on because so much of it is intangible, but we know it when we feel it and we know it when we see it and when we hear it. Um, I guess when you know, you know. Well, it's, um, you know, I, I think it's the extra step. It's, you know, everybody loves receiving a postcard, right? Mm -hmm. um, and... You know, I don't know. Maybe there are people out there who don't know what postcards are. And, sure. you know, like all the kids who grew up with digital and social media, you know, you get an Instagram DM, but maybe they've never gotten a postcard in the mail. Who knows? Maybe it was a new thing for some people. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think there's a real feeling there. Mm. So I know um, you are back open and you have your full lineup of summer events. Yep. Um, this is probably, this is your peak season, your summer season. Yes. Um, do you, and you just did the, you just did the solar panel installation. You're back open full force. Right. Um, are you just going to be open and up and running this summer? Do you have other things coming that you're going to build or implement or bring online? Or is this the summer of like, Hey, let's just, let's just open and, and get back to work. No, it's, it's, it's definitely um, much more aggressive than just let's open our doors and see what happens. Um, you know, we, we, we are actively uh, pursuing opening a, a tasting room uh, in Manhattan and, uh, I, I have two other restaurant uh, projects, um, one of which is is open right now uh, that we opened in September 2020, which is called Rosella uh, in the East Village, uh, and they're just absolutely crushing it. Uh, it's at 137 Avenue A. Uh, it's a sustainable sushi omakase concept. Uh, that was developed by TJ Provenzano, my my business partner, 
uh, and and our two partner chefs, Jeff Miller and Yoni Lang, and they are the operation side of Rosella, um, but they they are absolutely making an, a, a real sustainable impact and teaching people about being kind to our oceans through consumption of uh, sustainable local sushi. Um, I also have uh, uh, Grape and Grain, uh, which is a, a wine bar business, uh, also in conjunction with TJ Provenzano, uh, on East 6th Street. Um, it's kind of on a off the beaten path uh, between Avenue B and C, but it's next to one of the most beautiful uh, uh, neighborhood gardens in the East Village, in my opinion. Uh, and we are revamping that restaurant and reopening that restaurant as we speak and uh, getting that up and running as, as uh, uh, you know, a tasting room option as well as a restaurant option. Uh, so that that is uh, a main project that I'm working on right now. And then, of course, you know, always, always innovating, always putting in new programming at Rooftop Reds. The solar installation is a huge part of that. But uh, we're doing uh, a, a program called uh, Casual Fridays, where we're spotlighting uh, chefs, uh, uh, restaurants uh, that that are uh, doing social good in response to 2020, uh, and. Uh, just spotlighting chefs and, and, and talented culinary members of the of the food world that that are pivoting and and exploring new uh, possibilities uh, as a result of 2020. So just really trying to reach out to the 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 chef and culinary world that um, you know didn't have outdoor space, didn't have this you know, a uh, uh, 15,000 square foot rooftop and, and giving them this platform uh, and our customer base to cook for uh, on a, on a weekly basis. Every Friday, uh, we have a, a casual a la carte food program up here with a pop-up kitchen uh, at Rooftop Breads. Uh, and, and these food providers are absolutely stunning. It's amazing what they're doing. Um, and, I really, really am happy about supporting them this year. And it's solar powered. <laughs> um, partially, you know, we can't do the full kitchen solar, but yes, now we will be doing partial solar kitchen. Um, you know, the goal in years to come will be to add in more infrastructure and go completely solar for any pop-up kitchen uh, food event that we do here at Rooftop Reds. But right now, this is our first step towards you know carbon neutrality. And it's gonna take many steps to get all the way there, but uh, that, is, that is the goal. Well, as you add things and continue to innovate, um, check in with us and let us know. Tech Bytes has been on the air since January of 2015, if you can believe it. Um, this is actually episode 239, and we love to check back in with guests and follow the story of how their uh, spaces and businesses are evolving and what types of new things they are implementing. Um, again, you know, the more people who know about new technologies, new ways of doing things, um, maybe some new technology combined with an old way of doing things, as the case with 
you know, urban viniculture. Um, the more people who know, the, the more interesting it is and, and the more opportunity there is in the world. I want to thank Devin Schumacher for joining us today. If you want to join him at his rooftop garden, check out rooftopreds.com. Follow them on social media at Rooftop Reds. Um, on their website, you can find the schedule for all of the summer events, the tastings, the chef pop-ups, um, the hours. You can also um, find the wine shop. They ship to eight states now. Um, I don't know if you have quarantine cat cartoons anymore in the boxes, but it sounds like probably something nice will come with that box of wine. I want to thank Matt Patterson, our engineer. I want to thank DJ Uptown Nico, who made the Tech Bytes theme song, Nomad a CPU track. Thank Heritage Radio Network for an amazing uh, platform that has been around for more than 12 years. We have 35 live shows a week. And tens of thousands of hours of podcast conversations about food and the world in our archives. I also want to thank our listeners for joining us and supporting us as members. If you like this show, come back and listen next week. If you love it, go to your favorite podcasting platform, hit the subscribe button, leave us an amazing review. If you cannot live without it, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and make a donation. Maybe make a donation about what you spent your last happy hour or at your last wine tasting. If you designate your donation to Tech Bites, I will send you a gift along with my undying love. I'm Jennifer Leitzi, and this is Tech Bites. Tech Bites is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>